Here we go. My name is Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Culturing. This is, I think, the second one, right, sweetie? This is episode two. What is the uh, name of the movie that we'll be featuring today on today's podcast? Today we will be talking about A Star is Born. Mm. So for those of you who are new to pop culturing, Todd and I are the podcast hosts of Zen Parenting Radio, which has been around for almost nine years. And on Zen Parenting Radio, what we do is we talk a lot about self-awareness and mindfulness and communication and connection and compassion. And sometimes we bring in pop culture. And on this podcast, we're going to talk about pop culture. And we might just bring in self-awareness, mindfulness, connection, communication. The main focus is going to be movies and pop culture. Right, but we, and we're then kind of maybe we'll it. navigate into the the fluffy stuff. Well, I don't think there's any maybe because I think every movie that's the whole point. Um, but the difference between pop culturing and Zen parenting is there will be swear words on this. Yeah, this is this is well. How can we we can't do the movies we want to do without having certain quotes that may be inappropriate yeah. for children's ears. We'll try to minimize it, but there's we're not going to be able to get around it. Yeah, that's the bottom line. A lot of good movies are rated R, Todd. I know. I, I would say out of my top 10 movies of all time, more of them are probably rated R than PG or PG-13. Well, and, you know, we should start that with A Star is Born because, you know, I've now seen it like four or five times. You've seen it probably three or four times. Yep. Do you think it's a valid rated R? Like, do you... Well, there's F-bombs left and right. That's true. Of course. Okay, so... There's a little, a little bit of nudity. So there's a little bit of nudity. A little bit? Who's nude? Gaga. Barely. That's why I said a little bit. Okay. And then a lot of swearing, um, obviously adult themes. Yeah. Drugs, alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a, but sometimes like, don't you feel like some movies are rated R and you're like, well, not much there. And then you go see a PG-13 and it's so violent or mm -hmm. so heavy. And yeah, I like, sometimes, how did it get that rating? Exactly. So, and I say that because we have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and my 11-year-old has seen A Star is Born. Yes. And that's not super common for us. We're not like super lax about that kind of stuff. But, but we have lightened up in our old age. Well, we've lightened up because it's our third child. Yeah, that's what happens. She's been exposed to a lot more than the first child just by nature of being the third well, child. Well, in the relationship between Sam Elliott and Bradley Cooper, known as Bobby and Jack Bobby in the and movie, Jack. Uh, I think like every third word is an F-bomb. Totally. Almost to the point where when you've seen it a lot of times, you kind of, it's it's fu it's not funny because they're talking about serious things, but they literally can't say a sentence without saying the F word. I know. Um, but it, it maybe is indicative of how they were raised. There's There's got to be a reason for that dialogue. Sweetie, there's a million movies we could have pulled out. Why do you why did you want to do this one? Well, you know, because I was really affected by it because I think everybody did was you cry by it? Yes. How Even many times? In the first viewing. The first viewing, I cried. Well, let me take that back even another step. You and I and Cameron and uh, Skyler. Do you want to back it up? <laughs> Ouch. Yes, I'm backing it up. The four of us were at a movie. And JC, our oldest, was not with us, I remember. But we went to see a movie. It was possibly Mr. Rogers' movie. Oh, good one. I can't remember which movie. But they showed a trailer yeah. for A Star is Born. And it was the first time I had seen a trailer and I for this movie. And I cried during the trailer. Mm. And Cameron was like, are you really crying? 
But there were so many reasons why I was crying. Number one, because it's the first time you really heard Shallow being used. And that is a super... Super powerful That's the song. song we opened up with here, sweetie. It is. And it's also, you know, I know that men like it too. It's not that it's only a woman's song, but there's something about the way she sings that, which I cannot pretend to sing because, you know. Give I it a try, make, sweetie. Belt it out. I would make fun. But where she gets really going with that song, where it's like a, women understand that feeling. It's like a volcano. It's it like is. It's bubbling a little bit. And then when she lets it out, she's oh. letting it out. And I think most most people I know cried. And we've heard it enough now that maybe we don't cry every time. But there was something about that trailer that, first of all, I have a history with A Star is Born because of the other movies. Second of all, I love Lady Gaga and always have. Third of all, that song. And then I I love Bradley Cooper and I Mm. love that he directed this and I love that this is his movie and there's a whole story to why he chose to do this movie and all the, you know, it was Clint Eastwood's movie for a long time and Beyonce was going to be in this movie. It just went through all these, is the word word iterations? Sure. Is that a made up word? But for it to, for me to be seeing a trailer of the movie, because I remember reading in People Magazine when it was finally like, a done deal. And then uh, Lady Gaga has a documentary that came out about two years ago, a year and a half ago. And at the beginning of the movie, when you're the documentary, when you're in her house, there's balloons everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the documentarian's like, what's up with all the balloons? And she's like, I was asked to be in Bradley Cooper's movie. Mm. And that's kind of really all she says. Yeah. And so to like see the something develop over time. So in answer to your question, I think it's because of all those things I said. Well, in public service announcement, if you haven't seen it and you don't want us to ruin it, don't listen to this podcast because oh, yeah. we're going to ruin it. We're going to ruin it. We're going to talk about the whole movie. But I almost feel like since this is the fourth, the fourth, uh, I didn't movie, the fourth time this movie's been done, you know how it ends. I didn't. I had no idea. You didn't. That's right. You didn't know. You well, didn't that's know. That's what happens to moviegoers. They see a movie because they haven't seen it. I know, but everybody knows I had knows no idea he was going to kill himself. Really? It was awful. Awful. Yes, it was. That's in my nominations of hardest scenes to watch. Well, and I'm curious to how you watch the movie not knowing that. See, because I... I, I... I didn't know if they're going to... I had a feeling something bad was going to happen. Like, it, you know, it's funny. Like, some most great movies, with the exception of, like, Shawshank or something like that, like, the ending... Bad endings are more impactful than good endings. Maybe it's because we're conditioned to seeing good endings all the time. So most of my favorite, like Empire Strikes Back, it's got a terrible ending. The Empire struck back. You know what, though? The difference is the reason, okay, I totally get what you mean, like how to end a movie with tragedy, right? Because tragedy is part of life. Right. But there is also something very hopeful about the end end of The Empire Strikes Back. Okay. No, not the very end of the trilogy, Mm -hmm. but at the end of that movie, Luke knows that so again a spoiler i hope you've seen luke has his hand cut off han solo is frozen in kryptonite right lando who they just kind of met is going off with chewbacca and not even 3po i think it's just the two of them going out going to try to figure out what's happening and leia saves luke and leia saves luke but he's still handless he is handless but he's alive and he and leia are looking out together and you know there's some connection between the two of them because he was able to call to her so there's all sorts of hope within the tragedy what i was what i thought you were saying is that the very end of this movie where she sings that there's some hope to that as well. That was my point, yeah, is right. what I was going to say, is the difference... Although he's dead. There is tragedy that people... Okay, 
So I, I, for some reason, I'm thinking of Quentin Tarantino movies. They don't always end great. And they usually end in the middle. And yes, they're they're <laughs> interesting. But I, you know, like there's a lot of movies that just end violent or horrible for the sake of ending violent and horrible. Mm. So we all kind of go, Ugh. or like you know, the way the end of The Sopranos, you know, like where you're yeah. just like, oh, yeah, thud. like there's not a lot of, um, there's nothing, right? Or and some people say, but that's what's great about it. I'm okay with tragedy. If if you can have that last scene, like in this movie with in Lady Gaga singing, in the same way Tim Robbins talks about Shawshank, he's exactly. like, I'm okay with good yeah. endings yeah. as long as it's earned, right? And most good endings to most movies is the hero's journey, right? And this does not follow that timeline, I don't think. No, it doesn't really feel like a hero's journey, but it is definitely a going through somebody's um, their ghosts, yeah. their their growth, their evolution, and how it they changed paths. Yeah. You know, one oh, yeah. went up, one went down. Is there a moment in the movie where you felt like, you know, a star is born? So her star is on the rise, uh-huh. his star is on the way down. At what point in the movie do you think that they crisscrossed? Like Rez. they intersected? Rez. What does Rez mean? Rez is the agent that stops her. So after so she... So the minute Rez identifies uh-huh. her as being talented, that's uh-huh. the point. That is the point. Where are they? And he knows it because that's the scene... Who's that, he, Jack? Jack. Okay. So... Basically, the scene I'm talking about is, so she sings I'll Always Remember You This Way, which is, I think, the best song in the movie. Um, And he, now let me say this. The thing I love about Jackson Maine in this movie, which is Bradley Cooper, is that he is very giving and generous and not... He's giving and generous in a super heart-opened way, meaning, yes, he's getting something from her being on tour with him. They get to sing together. But he also tells her, I want you to do the encore. I want you to do this. He knows how talented she is. Well, and it began with selflessness in the very beginning. Um, and then obviously there are moments of jealousy when he's drunk. Well, and that that's what I want to get to, is that where she sings... She's singing to him. I mean, that song was written about him. And then they get off stage. Everything's great. Then Rez approaches her. You know, he says, do you know who I am? She does. And then when they go back to wherever they are, a hotel room, and she's telling him Mm -hmm. about what Rez said to her. You know, he thinks, you know, we can make an album. He thinks Interscope wants to sign me. He thinks all these things. And first of all, Jackson is just shit-faced. Yeah. So he can barely – it's just – there, you know, and I know we're not going in order here of how the movie goes, but it's an interesting scene because he actually is so drunk that he's listening, but then he falls off the couch. Everybody looks and she's like, no, no, it's okay. That happens all the time. Yeah. She has already adjusted yeah. to his alcoholism. And, and then what happens after that? Well, and that's, then he does the, he puts the cake on her face right? or whatever it is. Exa- I think that's what it is. It's some cake and he just starts rubbing it on her face and she doesn't know if he's messing with her in the beginning, but then... She realizes, and I think she says, you jealous fuck. You jealous fuck. Yep, she does. And he is, and he doesn't deny that he is. And I think the way that we're supposed to see Jackson in that moment is, first of all, he's loaded, so all of his inhibitions are down, so he's going to be his worst his worst self, right? Mm-hmm. But I think as you see over the next, like, how 30 minutes as she's, you know, rising, yeah. he also is, he's supportive and worried. Mm-hmm. Because he's worried about... He's trying to protect her because yes. he's been... Exactly. He's been this person with the stars on the rise. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's an, he's an interesting character because he's he has moments of jealousy usually when he's drunk, and but his heart is in the right place right. when he's sober. I've never watched a movie where I have been 
so relaxed and joyful when he is sober because there's moments of sobriety and that you can just tell in his eyes he has clear eyes mm-hmm. and you know he hadn't been drinking that day yeah and i'm like sweet and then when he's sloppy drunk i'm always worried well and they make a point in the dialogue to say she'll say you haven't been drinking mm-hmm. there's two or three times where she says that where they're making a point right now and you know i know that you and i both had this feeling the first time and the third time watching it together. He is the sweetest. Oh, he's a sweetheart. I feel like he's an undeveloped little boy. He is. When he's in his like sober moments and he's, he's just the sweetest thing. Like I was thinking the scene that like makes me smile now that I realized on this last showing was when she said, he wrote that song for Mm -hmm. her at the end. And she said, "Um, how do you hear this? Mm -hmm. You know, will you play this? And he kind of sits down. He goes, I knew you were going to ask me Mm -hmm. how I hear this. Like there's such a... You know, my version of that is when he's sitting there with Rez, the agent. Oh, yeah. And and Rez, he's such a jerk. He's Mm -hmm. like, uh, what does he say? No booze or something like that. And he says, no socks. No socks. And then he's like, actually, I do have socks. He's like, oh, wow, you got socks underneath there. <laughs> like, and that's the thing is he's not, there's something very nuanced about that. Let's just start with the screenplay of this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Where nobody is all good or all bad, which are the best movies to me. I like real people. Um, and that he has his issues and Rez has a reason for being annoyed at him. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he has a sweetness to him where he's not going to be, especially in a sober place, overtly cruel to anybody. I really liked, um, I really liked the way Bradley Cooper played this character and I think he should have won best actor, but that's a whole nother. Rami Malek won for Bohemian Rhapsody, which in, for me in the present day, that's a shame, but I know like in two or three years, people are going to be like, how did how did that guy beat this guy? I know. I know. Because Bohemian Rhapsody is kind of a, it's a fun, silly movie, whereas A Star is Born is a deeply impactful, moving movie. Well, and now wait a second. I don't think Bohemian Rhapsody was silly. What did you, what was the word that you used when we came out of that? It was a little I think you said campy. It. campy. it was a little like, I don't think the screenplay was beautiful. Right. I think the story of Freddie Mercury is amazing and I think it was entertaining. But there so the only reason I want to say it wasn't silly is cuz that's really about Freddie Mercury's life. Silly maybe have been the wrong choice of yeah. words, but it just was it was it was more surfacey. It was it just wasn't as good. Yeah, there was definitely like they stayed in kind of a certain zone. Mm-hmm. They didn't take you much deeper in the in some of the screen. I think you and I both came out of Bohemian Rhapsody and we were like, okay, some of that dialogue was like painful. Well, and you could tell before we even decided to do this podcast, we had already rewatched uh, A Star Is Born because mm-hmm. it was so impactful. I'm never going to watch Bohemian Rhapsody again. <laughs> I watched it again. And there's certain movies that are good that you just never want to watch again. Right. And and I feel like that way about Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star Is Born. I could see myself watching this. I've watched it four times mm-hmm. in whatever four months. So I'll take a break from it for a while. But I just. Every time I've seen it, it something else shows up for me. Instant classic, yes. right? Um, so yes, I would say that I have seen Bohemian Rhapsody more than once. I think it will stick around because it's an easy family watch. I, not for not all families, because there's obviously some deep themes in Bohemian Rhapsody sure. too, meaning you have to have older kids. But JC went to see it twice in the theater. Yeah. So there's something that teens love about it too. But 
That's just my personal opinion, even though I knew Bradley Cooper wasn't going to win Best Actor. Basically, A Star is Born got completely shut out at the Oscars. Except for Gaga. Yes, except for Best Song, which was kind of a given, but I guess there is no given, right? Mm-hmm. Because There's Glenn, always surprises. Glenn Close didn't win, but I no, don't want to talk about not. that because that was kind of painful. So can I just give you just like a teeny bit of information about this movie? Please. So this is the fourth version of this movie. There was a movie in 1937 with Janet Gaynor. Um, Gaynor, she's my And it was obviously some similar, but she was actually an actress. So it wasn't the singing component. But then the next one in 1954 was Judy Garland, which is somewhere. Well, she didn't sing that in A Star is Born, Over the rainbow. That was Sweetie, a that's different movie. Judy, Judy Garland is somewhere over the rainbow. Well, she no, she is no. now. Right. She always is. Always has been. No. Always will be. Well, she was, you know, this was 1954, and I think that... Wizard of Oz came out in 38 or 39. So okay. it can kind of give you an idea. And she was only 15. Mm. So it can give you an idea of how she old she was. She was in her mid-20s or yeah. something like that. Um, so anyway, but in a stars, in the 1954 version, Judy Garland uh, did sing. Mm. So it transitioned from being an actress to being a singer. Got it. Um, and which is, you know, just historically or just so you get to know me a little better, listeners, um, a star, or excuse me, the Wizard of Oz, and Judy Garland are very important to me personally. Um, and obviously everybody loves The Wizard of Oz, or most people do. Not everybody. But most people do. It's obviously a significant movie for a lot of people. But there was always something about Judy Garland that I followed. Mm. Um, and I kind of feel like, I'm totally reaching here, but I feel like Lady Gaga looks like her a little bit. Oh, really? I think she sounds like her a little bit, and I think there's certain features that she has that I... I don't know. It's just an interesting, it's just interesting how things evolve. And then the next one, 1976 was the third Star is Born. And then this plays a big role in my life too, because my parents were really into this movie. So let's see, I was born in 71. So that means I was five years old when this movie came came out. Is that right? When did w- w- 76? Five years. Okay. Way to subtract, sweetie. <laughs> well, I know, but you know how sometimes, okay. I'm not going to get into my math skills. Anyway, I remember this album. Todd, remember albums, how they would open and then there would be pictures yeah. inside the album? Yeah. And I and that was really the only way that an artist or a movie could soundtrack could communicate. Right. Right? Because you would read the pictures and read all the... So the inside of A Star is Born... Is it called liner notes or am I just making that up? Maybe I think liner notes are actually in the lyrics, like because you could also get they would also have a thing of sometimes inside there yeah. would be the lyrics. Yeah. And I don't remember if the lyrics were in there. I just know there's a bunch of pictures from the movie. And I used to look at it all the time and wear the big earphones that plugged into the, you know, stereo system and listen to the album. And I felt like because I had the pictures, I knew the movie. Mm. So by the time I saw the movie, which was a couple of years later, I was not five when I saw it. Um it was years later, I felt like I already knew this movie because, you know, you follow the whole soundtrack. Right. And I thought as a kid, it was really good. Now the reviews I'm reading about it, people didn't love it. It doesn't age as well. I guess not. Chris Christopherson, who I always thought was an actor, but I guess he was much more of an artist. And Barbara Streisand with her big curly hair and, um, you know, they they kind of had an iconic thing. So My only memory of Chris Christopherson, sweetie... Is I think Sinead O'Connor was singing after she tore up the picture of the Pope on yes, SNL. Yes, yes. And 
uh, she was singing at this live venue. Yes. And everybody was booing her. Yes. And Sinead kept on singing in spite of the boos. And then she cried. Oh. And then she walked kind of off stage. But before you can lose her sight, Chris, Christopherson gave her a hug. That's Aww. the only thing I know about Chris. Like came out on stage? Um, I think he was next or something like that. Oh. And she was obviously very sad and he just consoled her. Oh, that's actually a really good story Thank about you. him. So anyway, that was the 1976 version. And then as we said at the beginning of this podcast, it went through a lot of, you know, other directors wanted to take it on again. Um, you know, other people were considered. And then Bradley Cooper took over this movie and... It is a beautiful movie. Do you want to talk about who was supposed to maybe work yeah. with Bradley Cooper? Let me hear. Um, I think you know this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I think um, I do too. Talks of a Four Stars Born remake began in 2011 with Clint Eastwood attached to, to direct and yep. Beyonce yep. set to star. I said that at the beginning. Uh, but then she got pregnant. Blue Ivy. With Her name is Blue Ivy? Mm-hmm. Her first name is Blue and her middle name is Ivy? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh And then there was talks with Christian Bale, Leo DiCaprio, Tom Cruise, Johnny Depp, and Will Smith to play the male lead. Wait, say those again. Christian Bale. Christian Bale, okay. Leo DiCaprio. Leo DiCaprio. Tom Cruise. Okay. Johnny Depp. Okay. And Will Smith. If you had to choose one of those people to take Bradley Cooper's spot, which would be a shame, who would you choose? Um... Christian Bale can do anything. Yes, he even can. though I'm not quite sure I've, I've ever heard him sing. Um, he would figure out how to sing. Same way Bradley Cooper did. Like Bradley Cooper is not a singer up until he started training for this movie. But anyways, I would say Johnny Depp would be the... And I don't even like Johnny Depp, but I could just see him doing this. Hmm. I don't know. Doesn't he? Isn't he a singer anyways? He's always like... Yeah. You know, he's one of those actors that always wants to be on stage playing guitar... Kevin Bacon's like that. Yeah. There are a bunch of people like that. Well, I think every... Lieutenant Dan. (laughs) I think every actor wants to be a rock star and every rock star wants to be an actor, right? Like you get a taste of fame in one way. Yes, I think I agree with you. Okay, Uh, so what else? That's it. Oh, that's the only thing you're going to give me? Well, on on who was also considered. I got a lot of other trivia, but... I, don't, I wanted to hear what else you had to say. Well, so I would, I want to kind of, you know, talk about how all of these movies converge, okay. like the parts that are, I think you would call them Easter eggs, but yeah. I, I was thinking of them as like an homage to the old movies, like the things that stayed consistent through mm-hmm. the movies or the things that at least Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. wanted to maintain in the movies. So what are your things? Well, mine are not montages or, or dedicated homages to old movies. Mine are some other things. Okay. Oh, actually, there's one that I found. One is when Allie leaves her work for a gig, uh-huh. she enters a passageway with a brick wall and yellow lighting while singing over the rainbow. Right. And I think a lot of people like it in that. So basically it's the very beginning of the movie. So it's when she's throwing out the garbage, when her, you know, when her boss is like, it's your turn to throw out the garbage. She throws out the garbage and then she keeps walking. It's right before the A Star is Born comes Mm -hmm. up on the screen and she's singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. But a lot of people don't know that's what Somewhere Over the Rainbow is because it's the opening to the song. It's so interesting because I did not pick that up until you just said that. I'm like, I don't remember that part. I said it when we were in the theater. I wasn't listening. I said, this is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Oh, well, I forgot. That was like four months ago. And let me explain to you another piece of our life that maybe others aren't interested in. Do you remember when we used to watch uh, 
Andre Ryu with the girls, yeah, the music man. So remember when he would bring the women on to yeah, sing? Yeah. So do you remember he brought the girl, yes. the woman on, the Dorothy? Very vividly. Okay. So she started with that beginning. With oh, it, really? It's a oh, very, yeah, yeah, do you yeah, remember yeah. that? I do remember that. So it is the beginning of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but that part is not used in The Wizard of Oz. Mm. It's kind of, I don't know, you know, all you musical people probably know what it's called, like the intro or the... And so anyway, that is, she's walking away, but you don't really know that it's somewhere over the rainbow. So that was kind of a wink to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing, this isn't really about pulling all the movies together, but one of the reasons that Bradley Cooper wanted to first be introduced to her in a drag bar Mm. is because that's Lady Gaga's past, is that her, she gives a lot of... um, you know, props to the gay community, the drag community for holding her up and loving her. And that's where she started when she was singing in bars. And so he's like, let's just do what you experienced, you know? And also um, the song that she sings, you may have heard this. He talks about this on interviews a lot. The Levian Rose. uh, Levian Rose. He, the first time he saw her perform, she sang that. Mm. And he said, you've got to do that in the movie because it's so powerful. Which is a French song, which translate to... The View in Rose. Very, very nice translation. I don't. I was just making that up. Oh. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But that. So I thought that was. You know. So there's. For as much as there's things pulled in, there was also things that were very personal for her. Um, one of the things that they can stayed that kept in all four movies was all the eyebrow stuff. Yes. You know, because there is there is a whole makeup eyebrow thing in the original Mm. and then in the Judy Garland one. And I actually don't remember it in the Streisand one. Like I can't personally remember it, but it says they, in the interviews I've listened to that whole idea of the eyebrow and painting it on is. Two things. One is a Libyan Rose translates to life in pink. Oh, interesting. Not the view in Rose. <laughs> um, and then I remember hearing an interview with Bradley Cooper about he wanted like close ups of like tactile things. And, you know, there's that scene where she pulls, pulls her eyebrow, eyebrow off, off but mm-hmm. and it's like a close up and you can see it. And he's like, as a viewer, I always want to like see that, you know, you could see the skin lifting when she's pulling or no, he pulls it off. He doesn't pulls he? it off her. And I don't know. It's, it's just a, there's all these kind of hidden cool things that movie makers do mm-hmm. that you don't recognize, but you leave the movie thinking that was a really good movie. And I yeah. feel like that was one of those things. Well, he did a lot of like slowing certain things down. Mm-hmm like where you had to pay attention. And from what I heard, I think I heard this on a different podcast, but like, you know, the scene where he touches her nose yeah. Um, and then the music gets really loud. Somebody said that's a Scorsese thing. Oh. Like he, he pulled that from Martin Scorsese right. that like where you kind of slow everything down and you heighten the music and he, and, and all filmmakers do this. They, I don't know if you say steal from each other yeah. or if that's an homage in itself, like where you say, I'm going to do kind of like in, sorry to go to another movie, but in Swingers, um, they there's a whole bunch of things yeah. they do on purpose. Yeah. The Reservoir Dogs thing. Yeah. The, where they're walking down the street in slow motion. Yeah. And then that long shot where they're following through the, uh, underneath the bar that yep. they're going to. That's the part where Ray Liotta and Karen yep. are walking through to get seats right in the front. And yeah. even the poker table before they leave, mm-hmm. I feel like that's... That's the s- beginning of Reservoir Dogs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so you know, some people are more... In that movie, they're being more obvious and overt, but that's what people do. That's what filmmakers do. They borrow from each other. So 
again, in that another scene that is uh, borrowed is in the Star is Born um, with Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. There's a whole bathtub scene, mm. and they have they kind of put together the bathtub scene with an eyebrow scene oh, yeah. in this one. Yeah. Um, and then you, everyone probably knows this if you've seen the movie or have read any interviews, but we all know that the dog is. Bradley Cooper's dog, right? Yeah. And do you know who that dog was named after? His dad. Yes. Charlie. Yes. And that's the cutest dog I've ever seen in it's my whole life. It's the cutest dog. And so he said, you know, a few interviews that I heard, he said it was it was like a way of keeping his dad close. Mm. And it also made a lot of sense to have your dog in the movie be your real dog mm. because then your dog will play with you sure. and love you. Um, and uh, so that was cool. And then the line that he says to her twice, you know, I just wanted to take another look at you. Mm. Um that's in all four movies. Oh, it is. In different but variations. But he made it a bigger deal that, because in, I just want, he says, hey, I don't, <laughs> just want to take another look at you. Now I sound like Billy Bob from Sling Blade. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a little Sling Blade. But as, as most people know this, but he worked with a vocal coach to basically get his voice lower by an octave, which I didn't even know was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but a that's, year. Yeah. And that's was, talk about commitment. This guy was committed to it. Um, but yes, so he did that. I forgot what I was going with. Um, to just take another look at you? Uh, yeah, it's that right, the scene before he decides to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Like there's a little, there's some foreshadowing there. Of course. I just want to take a last look at you, basically. Yeah. Um, and then the other foreshadowing, which is an Easter egg that I wrote down, and I don't know where we learned this, but we looked for it the last time we watched it together on Sunday yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is four nooses on a billboard when he is going uh, to the bar to see Gaga for the first time. There's a billboard and it's got four nooses on there. And they kind of, they make it, if you pretty aren't looking for it, you you're not going to see but it. But if you are looking for it, you're like, oh, they made that really obvious. Exactly. Yeah. Where he's like aligned with this billboard. It's a lot of foreshadowing. And you know... One of the things that even before the movie came out, I remember him, I remember listening to an interview where he talks about that opening. Mm. And one of the things he wanted to make very clear that people don't understand about stardom is when you're on that stage, if you are, you know, doing a movie or you're doing a premiere or for him being a rock star or a country rock star, it's very loud and there's people cheering for you. And it's like, you are surrounded by people. And then what he wanted to make obvious is how you move from that. Mm -hmm. And then you get into a limo and close the door and it's silent and you're alone. And that's a really good scene in feeling that difference that once you close that door, it's just you. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I talk to my college students a lot about, um, the fact that they, they obviously, we talk about fame and pop culture in my college class. It's a social work class, but I think pop culture relates to everything and about how sometimes what we strive for, like the fame and everything is because we don't want to be lonely. And the truth is there's a greater loneliness when you become famous. No doubt. Because you can't relate to people anymore. Right. And they can't see you as anything but your fame. I would be miserable. I would be a miserable, famous person. I think I would too. I think that you and and I have been, have, we've had discussions about that um, in our own, not in our, not in the pop culturing podcast, but as Zen parenting people, because we've been doing it a long time, we've had certain opportunities to do um, more high profile things or um, things that people say, you have to do this and then this will happen. And you and I haven't been super interested in, and then this will happen mm-hmm. because 
you know, it's different than being an actor or a rock star. It's not like we're going to have worldwide fame, but there does get a point where you're like, okay, then I kind of lose my ability to do what I want to do. Then other people start directing my life. And then add on top of that for truly famous people, um, paparazzi and, you know, people photographing your children. So you and I both appreciate this scene on that note where when they're first in the cop bar, when they're having a conversation, that would be Allie and, and Jack. And when she actually has a realization about where she is, she's like, I don't even know what's happening. She's like, I'm in a bar talking to Jackson, Maine. And he's like, why do people do that? He goes, you become famous and everybody calls you by your full name. I know. And I thought that's so true. You aren't even... You're a, just a full name. You're not Jackson. You're Jackson Maine. You are, and really, what he's saying is, you are not the person that's occupying this body. You are an image that people know on exactly. stage. Exactly. And first, she was sitting there talking to a man. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, she had a realization of, oh my god, I'm in a bar with Jackson Maine, mm-hmm. and then everything changed. You know, yeah. it doesn't. She can pull. They they pull it back into one of the big questions human. that I want to present to you, sweetie, yes. is who does a better job at the crap that they were not known for Gaga acting or Bradley Cooper singing? Because I think they both, um, you know, I don't know what, what, well, met- they both had to learn a new skill and, and they, both of them look as if they had been training for it their entire lives. That's yes. how good they both are yes. at this. I don't know if I want to compare and say I know one you don't, but what if I said? I don't want to. I think that, and I also think that actually Lady Gaga, I think she would say if, if she was with us right now, that what she has had to do, like, and again, she's an American horror story. She actually won a Golden Globe for mm. it. So she has acted. Yeah. And I think what she's had to do on stage and in videos you know, her whole has career warmed her up yeah, to that to acting. So I think Bradley Cooper, if we were are going to compare, which we never would, but right. if we did, <laughs> You're like, it's we... just, it, it's quite astounding. So, and you know, I don't think he learned to play the guitar traditionally. I think what I learned is he learned how to play these songs. Oh, interesting. So in, so in other words, if somebody handed him some music, he wouldn't be able to play that, that random song but he learned how to play these songs. I think that's genius. Unless you're doing the role because that's a skill you wanted, just excel at the things you're going to film. Like when I hear the stories of somebody like puts their life on hold for two years to learn something for like a 10 minute filming segment, it makes no sense. Um, And he, I thought, and again, I'm not a musician. I'm sure there's musicians who would criticize what he did, but I thought he was really, I didn't, I didn't question it for a second. Yeah. And so his songs. So the songs in the movie that are Jackson Maine songs were written by Jason Isbell. Mm. I think all of them. I don't know if all of them. I think um, Gaga and her guy. I said the ones that were su- sung by Jackson Maine. Right. But didn't they write songs for him also or no? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Now, I could be wrong. Um, I, I thought, thought Jason Isbell wrote one of those songs. No, he wrote more than oh, one. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. I think he wrote Black Eyes, which is the opening song. Mm-hmm. And then he also wrote um, Maybe It's Time Got to it. Let the Old Ways Die. Um, and and from then on, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I know Lady Gaga wrote her songs with Mark Ronson and somebody else. And, you know, I was listening to... This was closer to when the movie came out, but people debate whether or not there was thought behind how they recorded the Lady Gaga songs, meaning were some of them supposed to be really good and Mm -hmm. some of them supposed to be not as good because they were demonstrating her rise into pop into pop music, Mm -hmm. meaning like I didn't like the song she sang on Saturday Night Live. Did you? 
No. Yeah, and I was kind of like, that's not a good song. And we don't know if it was written with the intent to be as big as the other songs. Right. Or if it was written with the intent to not be a big song. I, I Only Gaga would be able to tell us that. Right, and and I don't think they would ever say, right? right? Because you're trying to promote the whole album. And there might be people who did like that song, but it's just one of those pop songs that feels really recycled. And I read that uh, Bradley Cooper decided not to do the very traditional montage of a star rising and like, you know, like where they fade in from one venue to another. And it just becomes obvious that that that, she's getting better Mm -hmm. better and better. Instead, they just go to the SNL thing. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of speaks to the audience like, oh, she's a really big deal now, which I think is cool because we've all seen that montage a million times in different movies. Well, and you know, even before she's on SNL, her album's coming out, she dyes her hair orange, Rez says to her, you got SNL. Mm -hmm. So right there, you're kind of watching. You're right. They kind of skipped from we're recording an album to you got SNL to SNL. So you don't really have to see but you see how people respond to her. Like, I don't know if this is where I want to talk about this part, but I will just throw it in because I'm thinking of it. I think the absolute best song in the movie and the best moment is when she's singing, I'll always remember us this way, Mm -hmm. because I feel like for me, Mm -hmm. that is the moment when she is being as full, as true to who she is as ever. Meaning... She, it's her song. She wrote it. She wrote it about him and their experience. She's singing it on the fly. She didn't know she was going to. She's really sweaty and messy and she's on the piano, which is like the best. And the way the crowd responds to her. And even at the end, when she finishes, you, they're, they're on Jackson, but you can see her on the screen and she cries and I don't know about you, because I know you're not a big crier, but when I'm doing something that's truly me, mm. or like when I feel super in my element, I do get emotional sure. like that. And that's her. Mm. Like, I feel like that was supposed, at least for me, that's her music, that's her sound, that's who she is. Yeah. And I think kind of the rest of the movie is us debating, because I don't know if there's like a final answer about this, is she staying who she is? Did she lose herself? Is Jackson right? Is Jackson wrong? Well, I think the very ending scene of her singing in that beautiful dress, yeah. that beautiful song, yeah. she she stopped being who everybody wanted her to yes. be yes. and sang the songs that she wanted to sing in the way that she wanted to sing them. And her hair was not orange. Correct. I think that's like that's a big part of that moment is that her hair has grown out brown. And do you want to tell the, the trivia behind when she actually had to sing that song? You can. I know what you're talking about. Um, so it was... I don't know if it was the last um, day of shooting or mm-hmm. not. I don't know. But on that day, uh, Lady Gaga had this friend named... I don't know, but it's a. it was one of her best friends. One of her best friends. We forgot her name. She passed away that day. Mm-hmm. And apparently hours later, she, um, she had to go do this mm-hmm. in front of this audience. And um, apparently she belted it out in a very authentic mm-hmm. way. Like, I don't think there's a lot of acting going on because she was truly thinking about her, her friend, friend who died. Mm-hmm. And I think the, what I've read or saw in an interview, Bradley Cooper said, all right, um, that's it. 
Just, just that's all we need. We're done. Just the one. Yeah. Instead of making her doing it over and over again, she was obviously in grief. So, yeah. anyways. Well, and in her documentary that I was just talking about, I think it's called Gaga Five Foot Two. She talks about that friend because the friend is still living, obviously, during mm-hmm. that documentary and all of her treatments and yeah. how she's supporting her. So, um, didn't she talk about that at the concert you went to at Wrigley she Field? She did. She did. She, we saw my daughters and I saw her at Wrigley for the Joanne tour, and she brought up her friend. Wow, it's interesting. Could she, she couldn't have been filming the movie then. I have no idea. Um, don't you wonder how these people do all these things? Like, how did she get to a point where her hair was grown out? Yeah. She, maybe she was wearing wigs, but yeah. she but she also had to cut that Joanne tour. We were lucky to see her at Wrigley, but she cut it short a few times because she has so much pain mm. in her body. I'm curious how she has fibromyalgia and some other issues, and I'm curious to how she's doing. We're going to see her in less than two months. No, Todd and I are going to see Lady Gaga in Vegas, her Enigma show, because she does two shows. Yep. And I think you wanted to see the jazz acoustic, right? I did. <laughs> but I won that one. And we're going to, because the Enigma is all of her pop songs. Ah. And the jazz acoustic, she might sing some of them on the piano. Yeah. But I, I, I just, I always prefer a stripped down version of songs. Yeah. And less frazzledness. What's the word? The less Dazzledness. spaghetti hair. Less spaghetti hair. Just give me the music. <laughs> And let me listen. I don't need a lot of things. I actually fell asleep when we watched, oh, the musical, whatever it is, in Vegas. because It was like a Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, it's a Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. And there was like 45 things going on the stage <laughs> at once. And my brain was like, I don't, there's 45 things to choose from. So I'm going to choose none of them. And I fell asleep. I know. Poor Taddy. Just give me a person with a guitar and or a piano and sing and and do your thing. Like when we saw Billy Corgan. That's right. That was wonderful. And he just sang he with did. a guitar and it was his music. It was wonderful. And I'm sure, you know, like what we were talking about with her singing that song on stage, I'm sure musicians mm-hmm. love just to sing their song the way they hear it yeah. with not all the, you know, like it, it. it's always interesting to me when there's a pop song that becomes famous and then you see the person either live or you just see a YouTube clip of them singing it the way they really heard it. Yep. And it's so different. Like what producers can do to change a song. No doubt. Um, can I play 34 seconds sure. of one of my favorite scenes? Sure. This is when they're in the parking lot. Okay. Um, and uh, Gaga, I think, um, starts singing a song that she's written in that moment. It's shallow, right? Right. Okay. Tell me something, boy Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. And there's, yeah, I was going to play another clip, but that's all right. So that was one of my favorite scenes. Well, and it goes on because she doesn't even do the, she stands up and then does the actual chorus and he's like, holy shit. (laughs) Because you are like, oh my gosh. Well, and this is his reaction to her after she sings the chorus. Can I tell you a secret? But don't worry, I won't tell anybody. But I'm not very good at keeping secrets. <laughs>
I love him. He's so sweet. He's so sweet. So that whole scene before where they're in the, you know, the little grocery store. Yeah. Um, he's so sweet. Like yeah, he's got the peas. He's, he's getting got the frozen the peas. peas, and he's got the cheesy puffs for his driver. Right, and that was a scene like nobody talks about that scene. Like, as for the amount of interviews and everything I've read, like it's just a really cute scene where she grabs and she says to him, "Are you, are you, you know, do you need those?" Mm-hmm. Like she, she's even confused to why he's getting them. And he doesn't explain he why. Doesn't explain. You just see him in the back, the limo driver in the yep. background eating them, and then the the cashier is taking a picture of him yes. with her phone and he's a sweetheart. And he's like, that's okay. And then Gaga's like, it's actually not okay. <laughs> um, but so in that, so talking about the limo driver for a second. So uh, I don't know if you, you never watched Alias, right? Never. So Alias was a Jennifer Garner TV mm. show and Bradley Cooper was in it. And that guy, his name's Greg Grunberg, I think is the actor's name. And he was in Alias mm. and he was the driver. Yeah. And, there was another guy from Alias, uh, Ron Rifkin, who is the guy who runs the um, rehab center. Yes, yes. Who, you know, Bradley Cooper so talks Brad to. So Brad was bringing some of his homies he in. He totally brought his friends yeah. in. And I guess he and Dave Chappelle are really good friends too. Mm. And they had- What did you think of Chappelle's performance? Oh, it was awesome. Now, it, you know, the, the big question about Dave Chappelle in that movie isn't really about his performance. It's about the necessity of it. Yes. Did it, did it move the story along? Yes. Um, I, that- if I had to cut something out, and I wouldn't, but if I had to, I would cut the Chappelle thing out. And Even, I and I loved him in the movie. Me too. And I kind of feel like you had to get to the point where they got married, though, mm-hmm. right? We had to move that along. Um, oh, and by the way, Dave Chappelle's wife in the movie is uh, Drena De Niro. Who's that? That's Robert De Niro's daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. His stepdaughter. Oh, wow. Um, but so that it, it, the point of me telling you that is Bradley Cooper brought in a lot of his friends because he and Robert De Niro are good friends. Mm. Like he, there is, you know, and that's what you do. Everything, you know, when we talk about, you know, there's a reason why people who live in LA who are related to people who are actors, actresses, directors, and producers, they're going to make it Mm. a lot quicker than a random person. Even if that random person is really good at what they do, you, there is a degree of networking or name recognition. Do you know what the rumor is as far because we haven't talked about the dice man yet. Dice. It's interesting because I think we both liked him in this movie. I did. I loved him. And then, you know, think about him as a standup and just the awful inappropriate inappropriate uh-huh. things he did but he's he's very likable in this movie and um supposedly um John Turturro, Robert De Niro and some other really good Travolta. actor Travolta Travolta uh-huh. all had interest in doing this role and Bradley Cooper chose the Dice Man. Now, and again... I don't know if that's true. I don't either. I mean, and do you wonder where they consider did it work in their schedule? Mm-hmm. I don't think they necessarily were like, you know, Andrew Dice Clay is the one, but he was good. He was very good. And I think that, you know, there was a discussion on Dex Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert. There was a discussion about, uh, he, he talks about Andrew Dice Clay a lot, not in relation to this movie, but just in relation to this Me Too era, mm-hmm. right? Because if you go back and you watch his stand up, it's so inappropriate. It's so misogynistic. And there's a lot of discussion about the fact that he, as a person, wasn't like that at all and was in on the joke yeah. always. And then it does that then make it okay? Okay. Right. And obviously that comedy wouldn't go over today. Um, 
I remember watching it with my guy friends in high school. Sure. I think it was big when I was like a junior or a senior and they loved it. And obviously as a 17, 18 year old girl, I would kind of laugh along, but it was horrible. Horrible. Um, and so, but was that just a character he was putting on? Well, what I understand is he used to have a whole stand up act and he realized he got the most laughs when he did the dice man. So he just like, well, you know what? I'm just going to do my dice. whole show. Yeah. Yes. I also liked him in Pretty in Pink. I was just going to say, he's the guy in Pretty in Pink. And, and, the, and Ducky calls him the Dice Man, yeah, I think. he does. My favorite part of the Dice Man in this movie is when Allie's video mon, uh, <laughs> duet with Jackson goes viral uh -huh. and the limo drivers are on their phone yeah. looking at it. And this is the scene. Okay. I think it's awesome. What's that number down here? That is how many people looked at it. Get the ooh, fuck ooh. out of here. How do they know how many people looked at it? I think it's like they call it an algorithm. What's an algorithm? It's like a uh, beat. A beat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in music, a beat? Yeah. 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 I, I, I think kind of. Mm -hmm. Do you believe this? No. <laughs> uh, and you see this? Yeah. That's how many people have watched. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just telling each other. I watched it 200 times myself. And 200 of those people. Go Pops. Go Pops. Um, I love that he's like, it's a beat. Yeah, it's like not that's beat. not even close. <laughs> you know, algorithm's like a beat. I think his algorithm's like a mathematical formula. It is. I don't even know what it is. Well, and it's how many people have seen it clicks, you but know? I love the limo driver montage. I love all those guys. They like, and I never even understood, like, why is everybody at their house? Like, what's going on there? Well, he, I think what you're supposed to understand about him is that they bet. You know, there's a gambling situation going on. So are they just getting off of work and they all come to Dice's house to to gamble and yeah. eat breakfast? And, and they also are drivers. Yeah. That's all the, the cars in front of his house. Um, but that they're that's not their only business. Like she says, who bet who bets on horses in Japan in the morning, you know? Are you ready for my last Easter egg? Yes. In the right. scene where Allie's father and friends are betting on horse races in Japan, the TV can be seen in the background. And the Japanese scroll at the bottom shows there's a horse in the race named State of Jackson, Maine. No, really? I don't know. That's what it said. That's so random. I found that out after we last saw it, so I can't confirm. Or deny? Or deny. Did you know that Bradley Cooper got sober when he was 29? Uh, I knew he got sober. I didn't know when. So I find that really interesting, like for someone who has gone through rehab or, or who has stopped drinking or consider themselves an alcoholic, sure. like what that's like to then play that. Mm -hmm. And again, it doesn't mean that the way he was in his life is the same as Jackson was, but that would be, you'd have to do a deep dive into some darkness. Well, and I think that's probably one of the reasons that Bradley, you know, he said that, um, sobriety saved his life mm -hmm. and there's probably some, I don't know, some, more deep meaning than we can even begin to realize when he decided to take four years of his life to make this movie. I know. I, you know, it, it, it's interesting, like getting to the end of the movie, you know, and how it ends, um, that really to analyze it and say, you know, what were his options? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way I would say there were no other options, but like, let's just think about people. Um, you have Allie who's on the rise and they don't really, again, you were talking about how they didn't demonstrate how she rose to fame. They also didn't show you how her career was affected after Jackson pees his pants yeah. during the Grammys, yeah. you know, when she's winning her Grammy, how 
you know, can you imagine what that would be like in our so- social networking world? Right. Like it would have been everywhere. She would have been on every magazine. It would have been about him, her. And they never, sh- they don't show you that. They just cut to him being in rehab, her visiting him two months later. Yeah. And then they, the only thing they show us is Rez when he is sober and home, Rez telling him how horrible it was. Yeah. And that- Serious triage is the quote that he says. Yes. We've been in serious triage trying to um, recapture her career. Because it went so sideways. And he's like, she loves you, so she's not going to tell you this. And it's such a- uh, an interesting moment because obviously Rez is made to be the, the, you know, antagonist, mm-hmm. right? He's the one who you feel like pushes him, him over, over the, the edge. edge, which, you know, for anyone who's like, no, that's not it. Of course he did. Like he pushed him over the edge. It's not the he didn't only bring reason. Him to the edge, no, but he pushed him he over. He pushed him because he was okay. He was probably like hanging on by his fingernails, but he was okay. Um, and then somebody said to him, she loves you. You know, then Rez says to him, she loves you. She's not going to tell you, but if you ever do something like this again, I will save her from you. Mm -hmm. And I think he realized, or he believed, this is not necessarily what was really happening, but that he had already lost her to the industry. Sweetie, I'm going to give you my nominations for, I'm not going to call it the worst scene, but most difficult scene. Okay. Okay, and you tell me which of these things are the most difficult. Okay. And I just thought of this one. There's this, I didn't realize this, but when you watched it the first time, and and Bradley Cooper, I actually shared this with you before, and he realizes that he's going to take his own life. Yes. And when she, he and Gaga are in bed. Yeah. And she's saying that she's canceled her European tour. Right. And he, and he has this stare about him. Did you realize that that's what was going to happen? Absolutely. Because I knew what was going to happen. So that was, because after I knew it, I looked for it and it's haunting. It's horrible. Haunting. Mm -hmm. So that's the one. Um, The second nomination is when he pisses on himself. Well, I still haven't watched it. Oh, you still I've seen the movie four times and I still haven't watched that scene. I stop when he's on the stairs and he's like, should I go up there? Mm. Should I go up there? Mm. Like you can, she's trying to give her speech and you can hear him in the background and he doesn't even know where he is. No, he's so, he's blackout drunk. And when he's even playing the Roy Orbison tribute, Mm. they take his guitar off. He's like, are we done? Mm. Am I done now? Like he doesn't even know where he is. So I can't watch that scene. Um, so I think that would probably be the win. The only yeah. other nomination I was going to give you is the garage scene. Yeah. It's it's horrible. Which is the worst? Uh, I, I would it, say since I, The you Grammy can't... one, because I can't put my eyes on it. It's so painful to me and for her. And because it's such the, the it, it demonstrates how far gone he is. Yeah, I'm stuck between the, all three of those scenes that are haunting, mm-hmm. but I, I guess it's got to be the Grammy scene. It's horrible. I mean, it's horrible. And speaking of- Or what of, about looking at the dog? The dog is outside oh, the garage. That, that's the thing is the, the Grammy scene, there's different adjectives that I would use to describe it. It is horrifying. It is embarrassing. It is so, like Cameron leaves the room. Yeah. Like it, that, our daughter, our middle daughter, she has to leave the room when certain things come on. And I'm covering my eyes and my ears. So I can't even watch it. It's so bad. Where the final scene when Charlie's outside the garage is haunting and and- horrible, but I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just to talk about that Grammy scene for a second, two big star sightings in that moment. Oh, really? Uh, Brandy Carlisle is oh, yeah. singing with the Roy Orbison guy. Yeah, yeah. So we love Brandy Carlisle. Yes. So it's nice to see What's her. What's the song that we. Um... Pretty Woman? No, no. The, we oh, played the her. Joke. The joke. We, we played did a that. Zen Parenting podcast yeah. about the that joke. That song. Yeah. yeah. Pretty incredible. So again, this is our second podcast on our Zen Parenting podcast. We did a whole show talking about the joke and how it applies to our world. Um, and the other person is Halsey, mm-hmm. is the one who Halsey, gives her the award. And Halsey's the lady who was on Saturday Night Live a month ago or two months ago. And every time my daughters are flipping through any of the channels, about every third station, there's an Halsey song that comes up. Oh, you mean like on the radio? Yes. I know. She's everywhere. Everywhere. Well, like I thought about Halsey in terms of, again, I know this is all a movie and everything, but so there's a big thing in the movie about how like, you know, Allie is trying to kind of do her own thing. Rez is insisting that she has dancers and that she does the whole pop star thing. And she's trying to do her own thing, but she has to go on Saturday Night Live and be sexy and sing the bad song about the guy and his butt and the jeans mm-hmm. and like got the dancers. Yet here's Halsey on Saturday Night Live and she draws a picture. While she's singing. It was pretty cool. And I'm thinking to myself, but maybe she has earned that right because she has so many hits. Maybe when you're first starting out, your manager or your, I don't know how that works, but maybe you have to earn that. Yeah, I don't know. What's Halsey's uh, famous song or does she Oh, she has many of them. What's the big one? Um... East Side is the one that she... East Side to the West Side, yo diggity, gon' bag it up. No, that's, that's um, yo diggity. While you're telling me the name of it, I'm going to play I, a little bit of the you. joke. Oh, okay, hold on. I want to just... Where's the joke? Oh, it's not playing. Oh, that's why. That's Brandy Carlisle. I know. I want to play them both. Okay. Sweetie, the joke is on you. Is Jokes that, on them. And what's the Halsey one? East Side. I mean, she's got many, but I'll just pull that one up because I just heard it on the radio. Halsey East Side. Let's mm-hmm. hear Halsey doing East Side. Oh, that's not the right. Oh, Benny Blanco? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that the deal? She does the, you know, featuring part. Oh, she does? Yep. This is it. When did she sing? In a second. Oh. This doesn't sound like Halsey. Well, skip forward a little bit. Oh. Still Benny. I don't think she's on this song. Well, she's featured. There she is. All right, enough Halsey. I just wanted to play that. So here's the thing about Halsey. Side note, I think everybody is trying. There's this sound that like the 2015 and on, I know we're in 2019, but for like last three or four years, there's this sound that girl singers have. Mm. Alicia Cara, Dea, Halsey. And again, I know they are different. They're Cindy Lauper, (laughs) Joan Jett. (laughs) Two-way pagers. Two-way pagers. (laughs) Floppy discs. (laughs) That's from another movie we should do. Sweetie, nobody's seen that movie. have you? Well, I can't talk to you. Everybody. Sweetie, talk to them. They're <laughs> listening. You can't respond. But the movie Wanderlust with Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. There are some good lines. Oh my God. And it's it's Thoreau. It's Justin Thoreau, her ex husband, yes. who's so funny. But anyway, she, they they have this sound. And so why I'm saying that is because my daughters, when they're singing any song, mm-hmm. they kind of emulate the way that those girls sing. Oh. It's kind of like a very uh, timely sound. All right. 
Yes. All right. I, I can tell you noticed as well. No, it's she's my favorite Halsey. <laughs> um, so what else? Should I do trivia? Are we going to do best quote? Well, what, let, what else do you want to share? Let's, why don't you just share your, you know, since we're kind of getting to the end here, your favorite thing about this movie, like what you take from this movie. Um, what I it could take. be a quote, a scene, uh, just an overall impression. What's what's your thing? Well, the relationship that he has with Sam Elliot Elliot is pretty impactful. Like that part where he says, "It's not you, I. It's not Dad, I idolize. It's it was, you. It was you." And mm-hmm. Sam Elliot Elliot. <laughs> His name's Bobby. Bobby. Uh, he, it's just such a, you know, I'm always looking at movies through the eyes of healthy masculinity or mm-hmm. lack thereof, and they love each other, but they would never, like the fact that Bradley Cooper, uh, Jackson Maine's character, um, discloses, discloses so that vulnerable. so vulnerable and you know, you just, what I want is I want them to get out of the car and embrace and hug. They can't. And all he did, all Sam Elliott did was put it in reverse and start crying. Yes. It's just very... It's like meaningful to me. The biggest can of worms mm-hmm. that he slightly opened. Yeah. And so for them to hug, that's like 10 miles down the road. I like know. that's not even close to what they could do yet. They know they love each other. Even in horrible moments, Bobby, mm-hmm. Sam Elliott says to him, you call me. Like in the Saturday Night Live scene yeah. when he's on the road with Willie Nelson instead. Yeah. He doesn't say Nelson, but he says Willie. So yeah. you assume. And, you know, Jackson's like, I, I was kind of thinking you can come back on the road with me. And he's like, well, I hate to say it, but it's easier without you. But then he says to him, because he realized he heard him. Yeah. He says, "You, if you have any trouble, you call me. Right. Like, so they there's have a love. That. There's a love there. Yeah. And they let each other know it. Um, and then the other one that kind of takes my breath away, which I'm going to play, is when he's in rehab mm. trying to apologize oh, it's for pissing on himself. You know what? This could go in one of the most difficult scenes, too. I just think it's beautiful. It is, but it's difficult. And my God, Bradley Cooper knocks it out of the park as an actor in this scene. So, I'm sorry. uh... Mm. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. It's not your fault. I'm sorry I did that. It's okay. It's not your fault. It's a disease. <laughs> no, but I embarrassed you. I embarrassed you in that. I'm not embarrassed of you. It's so wrong. <laughs> and then you and then you're dead. My father loves you, it's okay. <laughs> I know, but I just horrible horribly i mean it's it's so good and so necessary and it's so beautiful and she does a good job too she does because she's almost like a mother yes you know she cries a little boy he's a little boy and she needs sometimes as partners we need to be mothering mothering Mm -hmm. and she understands that it's she even says to him before that scene she's actually unsure Mm -hmm. if their relationship is still viable not because she doesn't want it to be but she's like i'm sure this is very common for people who are married to some, you know, an, someone who is addicted, yeah. and they go into rehab and they come out and they're going to be different. And so your question is, do you still love me? Is this 
person. Right. And she asks him that, like, you know, well, you met me when you were drinking, so I just want to make yeah, sure. Everything like the world, the foundation of the 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 relationship has been rocked. Exactly. It could make it better, but it could destroy it, even if he's sober. Because exactly. to her point, are you still going to like me now that you're seeing me through sober eyes? You met me when you were drunk. Right. And he actually says he's very confused by what she's saying. Yeah. And he says, I'm here for you. Yeah. Like they, it's a moment of, I think a necessary script moment of clarity about they do love each other, yes. that this is, they're going to do their best. And obviously that doesn't last very long. Right. Um, but that's a really, that's the most poignant mm. moment of the movie. Um, you know what I thought was interesting in this movie? And it's just kind of an overall thing. They did a really good job. Uh, so Jackson um, talks about how when he's young, he his ears are damaged. And he says it's because he put his ears so close to the speakers, you know, that his dad had. But through the movie, you are able to experience his tinnitus because they 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 put a sound on mm-hmm. when he's experiencing it. So you as the viewer know yeah. what he's hearing. And you understand not only why it gives you more insight to why he drinks medicinally it to he drinks because of his pain and yeah, because of his history and his dad was an alcoholic. It's a numbing behavior for sure, but he also has constant pain Yeah, and that, and that to be a musician and not be able to hear. Well, and it's funny, uh, Kurt Cobain, I remember watch, uh, reading a Rolling Stone magazine dedicated to Kurt Cobain and, uh, he had significant stomach issues. Oh, yes. He was sick all the time. And, you know, it's so easy for us that have clear minds to say, what a selfish act. Like, we, I, who am I? I right. can't judge Suffering. anybody's until I'm in that body. I can't. And, you know, she's like, it's a disease. Mental illness is a disease, Absolutely. too, whether there's any booze involved or not. Absolutely. And I don't know, we just tend to judge too quickly, so. Well, we assume that we know what someone should do. That's right. kind of why I talked about what this movie, like what the options were for him. Because he really, I think in his mind, and again, it was a mind that is in a lot of pain and one that's still reeling from his addiction. It, it wasn't a clear mind, mm-hmm. but I think he believed that there was no other way, that if he lived, she wouldn't survive him, that her career could not survive him living. But you don't believe that, do you? No, but that's what I think his His mindset was. Like when you think about her after he commits suicide, you realize how she would have done it any different way, having a smaller career touring with him. I mean, she's trying to get Rez to go. She's like, I'll tour with him. Mm -hmm. Like we can do our duets. Mm -hmm. And she saw a different way. Yeah. But Rez only saw his way, only saw his way, which then made Jackson think that was everyone's way. And, you know, he's in there for a reason. We needed an evil doer. Yes. But isn't that what most managers do? It it is. uh, Do you think it's a quick move? Um, Because he's not a likable guy in the beginning. But I don't know. I felt like there was a little bit of a leap for him to just say what he said to Jackson Maine. Well, I think, like we said before, I think it's it's supposed to demonstrate how much they've been through that we haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he says, he comes in, he's like, hey, you know, Allie's not here. So Rez knocks on the door to talk right. to Allie and he's very low key. Like, Allie's not here, you can wait. And Rez is like, uh, we're not really friends here. Yeah, just so you know. Yeah, like, let's be clear. Like, we're acting like we're cordial and we're not. Well, and I think Jackson is like, I wish we were friends, you know. Like, I do too. You know, I think once again, he is, 
a heart-centered individual, and Rez is, um, you know, if I can just judge, a money-hungry, celebrity-seeking, self-interest manager. Self mm -hmm. manager. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what we're supposed to see. And he even, you know... Jackson tries to small talk with him about, oh, you're going on tour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's another heartbreaking scene. But also, you have to acknowledge because everything is not simple. Is the what Jackson has done? Mm -hmm. He's he's oblivious to how he affects people. Yeah, and that's well. I think he. Don't you think that he is now? Like, yes. After going through his 28 day program, I think you know that that grieving. It was actually three months. Oh, was it 90 days? Mm -hmm. That grieving scene that I just played. Yes. Shows that he's right. It, absolutely. Like I guess what I mean is historically he's been oblivious. Yes. He's hurt a lot of people, and what he does at the end, he's actually thinks. And again, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do, yeah. nor are we supposed to want it to happen, but he thinks he's doing a good thing for love, for love. Yes. Yeah. He's doing it for her. Exactly. And, but she, isn't that interesting? That's infuriating to say out loud because she's, he actually ripped her heart out. She will do, she would do anything to, to keep him exactly, around. To keep him and around. the fact that he does this because he thinks that's what she wants. Or not what she wants. I don't think he thinks she wants it. I think that, I think he knows that she'll she be better, better off. off. Yeah, not Which once. is why it's every story. I mean, I'm I'm a therapist. These are the, I've worked with families who have had this experience. You know, ex either notes that have been written or things that have been said, um, or things that people who I've talked to who are close to, mm -hmm. you know, choosing suicide, mm -hmm. they say things would be better if I weren't here. Yeah. They literally see a viewpoint yeah. of if I wasn't here, all these issues would, would not exist. And that's part of the mental illness, exactly. right? Exactly. Cause it's never true. Right. Um, there's always another way. There's always another way. Um, but his belief system in that mm. moment is that, so I don't think, so just to like clarify your language, he doesn't do it no, for he her. He does it because he, he thinks she'll be better off if he without does Without him. Exactly. So, um, so I thought that tinnitus was a really good part of the movie. I think that was really helpful. And then my last thing, and this is just, I mean, there's so many other scenes in the movie, but he, uh, from what I read, he, um, Jackson Maine or Bradley Cooper, Cooper modeled himself a lot off of Eddie Vedder. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that too? I heard it from the rewatchables. Did you, can you pull up Eddie Vedder singing? Oh, sure. Um, so there was, he, Eddie. Well, what did he, which song did he um, sing? I think it's called Old Ways Die. Um, maybe It's Time. I think it's called Maybe It's Time uh, is yeah. the song. But Eddie Vedder was touring and he decided to play this song mm -hmm. from the movie. Yeah. Um, I think this is it right here. Okay. Nobody knows what waits for the day. Nobody knows what waits for the day. Some folks just believe in the things they've heard and the things they've read. Nobody knows what waits for the day. Wow, it's such an Eddie Vedder version of the mm -hmm. song. So yes. it's good. It is. It's really but. good. So I would say, not that I think it goes without saying because of how deeply we discuss this movie, but I would say two thumbs up. Oh my up. God. It's such a good movie. It's it, one of my, it's in, you know, I'm, I typically don't throw movies into my top 10 very easily, mm -hmm. but it's such an impactful, beautifully done movie. I know. My goodness. So 
I know we're going to end with this, with my favorite song from the movie. And I want to say that I think the first time I heard this song, um, I'll always remember us this way. There's a line in the song where she actually says, the part of me that's you will never die. And when I hear that song, like even in the car or whatever, I do, I get teary about it, not just because of the movie, but because of anybody you've ever loved. Right. You know, you know, at that moment, that's a bit of a foreshadowing. Right. Um, but you know, the part of me that is you will never die. Like every, who she has become, the, the, how she's come out of her shell that is forever. Mm. And he will, his impact on her makes her who she is. And I think we can all recognize that with the people that we love and that are no longer with us. Thank you for listening to our second episode of Pop Culturing. We will be back next week with... Stand By Me. Stand By Me. Stand By Me. Todd will have a lot to say about that. One of my faves. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to close with this beautiful song, Always Remember This Way, by Gaga. All right. See you next week. Adios. Thanks for listening to Pop Culturing. If you love movies, music, and talking about pop culture like us, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love Zen Parenting Radio, the podcast we've been doing for over eight years. Zen Parenting focuses on self-awareness, communication, and connection with some pop culture thrown in, and Pop Culturing focuses on pop culture with some self-awareness, communication, and connection thrown in. Listening to both will give you an ideal life balance. If you want to know more about Kathy and I, head over to ZenParentingRadio.com to get more information about our podcasts, events, and don't forget our annual Zen Parenting Conference in Chicago, and so much more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the movies. I like that. See you at the movies. Mm-hmm.